LinkedIn presents. My question is, now that I have found what I feel like I am meant to do, how do I make it sustainable? Hey there, in today's episode, our listener Becca asks, once you've found what makes your life meaningful, how do you make it sustainable? How do you monetize it and be careful about the monetizing of it, not dipping into the joy that it brings? Such an important and powerful question. And on deck with me this week from the Spark Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is multi-time founder and CEO of Jada Selner Media, the co-creator of the Simple Green Smoothies social and business phenom, sought-after advisor to entrepreneurs and best-selling author Jada Selner. And hey, quick note, you'll hear us mention something we call sparkotypes in conversation. So what's that? Well, it turns out we all have this unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your sparkotype. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your sparkotype for free at sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now on to Becca's story and question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. Hello, Jonathan and the Sparked Podcast. My name is Rebecca Wertheimer. I go by Becca. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I currently run a business called Storied, where I collect people's life stories to give as a gift to those that they love. I am trained as a licensed clinical social worker. I've been a, a clinical social worker for about 12 years. In 2019, I got very depressed, hit a wall, left my job, and ended up starting Storied. I still do clinical supervision for other social workers on the side as well. I absolutely love doing Storied. I feel like it was what I was meant to do. I love collecting people's stories in an audio-only format and so that they can share with people in their life that they what they love about them in addition to capturing full life stories and birth stories. My question is, now that I have found what I feel like I am meant to do, how do I make it sustainable? Currently, my interviews kind of ebb and flow in terms of how many I have coming in. And I feel like I need to figure out how I make this sustainable because I love doing it. It's the thing I want to do with the rest of my life. And I need to have an income. And so I would love some discussion around once you found what makes your life meaningful, then how do you monetize that and how to be careful about the monetizing of it, not dipping into the joy that it brings. I firmly believe that you don't have to have a paid position that in your, in your area of joy. I just feel lucky that I have finally found it after a long, windy, tumultuous road. But now I want to know how to keep it going. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your assessment and your book. Oh, I should have mentioned too. I am a nurturer, shadow type advisor and anti-scientist. So nurturer, advisor, anti-scientist. Thanks so much again, and good luck with the podcast. Take care. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise. 
a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Mm, so I love this. I love this sort of like fact scenario from uh, Becca. And um, I've got some definite thoughts, but I'm, I'm seeing you smile. And, and I know that you probably resonate with some very specific things that she shared because of your own personal journey. Um, let's just, what, what's your just sort of like opening take and intuitive hits when you start to think about what she shared and the questions she's asking? Yeah. What I really love that Becca did was she asked about making it sustainable. And so my first intuitive hit was to really, you know, work from the inside out. And so she's already solved the big problem of how can I do work uh, that feels joyful and makes me come alive. And so I have some more practical inside out strategies that I definitely want to share. But I think leading with the question of sustainability and also monetization to be able to provide and sustain her family, I think is a beautiful place to start. Yeah, I, I think it's a great starting point also. Um, I'm curious, though, when you say leading, like sustainable is a great place to start. Um, where have you seen people start that is not that, that you think can be sort of like a, a trouble point? Yeah. So I think when we're not looking at sustainability, we start to work and do work by any means necessary. So, you know, at the cost of your health, your relationships, you know, doing so much work and not actually being financially rewarded for that um, can lead to burnout, exhaustion, overwhelm. You just want to throw in the towel, even though you love this work, uh, that that sustainability is is so important. Otherwise, we just run ourselves ragged. And I am sure that with a decade worth of work in you know, clinical work and being a nurturer and taking care of other people in that way and holding that space uh, that I think Becca knows that she doesn't want to go down the path of burnout and overwhelm and stress and exhaustion. And so that sustainability is is key, 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 key. Uh, so this is really interesting, right? When you heard the word sustainable, your intuitive hit is like, I'm, I'm the, my translation of that is psychologically and emotionally sustainable. When I heard sustainable, my immediate take was financially. Like, how do we make this financially mm. sustainable? So it's interesting how we immediately associated two different things with the exact same word that she posed. And, and probably my guess is at the end of the day, it's really all of those things. But sometimes we chase totally. the money side of it at the cost, at the expense of, of emotional and psychological sustainability. Yeah, and my strategic answer, you know, actually where she should start is around the money. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to circle back to that. But you also made another interesting point, which ties it back to the fact that Becca shared that her sparkotype, um, her primary sparkotype. So this is her, her strongest impulse for work that makes her come alive is the nurture. And that impulse is all about elevating others, lifting them up, giving care, taking care. That nurture or impulse can be incredibly powerful especially with what she's been doing and what she's thinking about doing. But at the same time, it can lead to a level of depletion because you just give, 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 give. So the question around sustainability, I think your overlay of emotional and, and, and physical is just that much more important given just her own wiring. Yeah, definitely. So 
so let's dive into um, some of your ideas around this too then. So like you said, okay, so after that, like that's, that's the setup, but now let's talk about, let's go to nuts and bolts. Like let's talk about the financial side of things. Yeah. So my first invitation for Becca is to actually define her enough number because monetization was a a key thing that she kept repeating. So many times we try to create these big revenue goals for our business, but we don't have any clarity of how much is actually enough. So, you know, transferring her work from the clinical work into running her own business, she really needs to clarify how much money does she need to sustain her life. So getting really clear on personal expenses, you know, those type of numbers are really important. Even if you're going to be an entrepreneur, thinking about putting enough money away for taxes, for savings, all of those things are key. And then looking at what's the cost of actually running your business. So how much does it cost to actually run storied and putting those two numbers together, then you've got your your baseline revenue goal. And so just having that clarity of the enough number that's going to sustain her personally, as well as making sure that the business is sustainable, then she has clarity of how much is enough, how much does she need to make to make this work. Um, and then I also have some some thoughts on looking at that's her personal needs. But then inside her business, how do we actually monetize storied? Um, and so I actually did some research of, I really love the concept of storied and being able to capture people's stories, especially when Becca talked about life stories and birth stories. I was, I, I, I felt the emotional tug and pull and, and thinking about even being able to capture the stories of our grandparents and them being able to tell stories. So I think it's very powerful. Um, so I looked at, uh, actually two companies. And this is something if you're thinking about monetization is looking for companies that are similar, that might have a similar audience and start to uh, study their business model on how they make money. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to be super creative and innovative on actually how to make money. Um, if there is you know, quote unquote competition that actually share says that there are buyers out there that want to invest in this. And so uh, two companies that I looked up were and I personally used is Boombox, which is, you know, video tributes of people kind of collecting videos um, and being able to tell micro, very micro, micro short stories uh, for someone to celebrate a specific moment. Um, and then another one called uh, Tribute. Um, and actually Tribute is the, the video one and Boombox is the one where you're actually doing handwritten a letter and putting it into a box, a compilation of letters from loved ones. Mm-hmm. So those were just two companies, you know, just starting to think about what companies are out there that are already monetizing and making money and how can I borrow or even find ways of being innovative and, and different. And her business model is already different than those two, but I felt like those were in the same space of, of what Becca is building to capture emotions and feelings and stories of how people feel about themselves or others. Yeah, I love the practicality of that. Um, Starting out with your enough number. And, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people who think about starting an endeavor, and and granted, Becca's already started this. Like, this is up and running. It's real. It's in the world. It's helping people, right? So then when you think about, you know, what would it look like for me to actually let go of all the other things that take my time, but also like financially sustain me, what would I need? 
that enough number. Most people tend to just run the business plan. Like, what would it take? Like, how much money does it need to like, how do I pay my expenses here? Which matters, like you said, but also how do I want to keep living my life? You know, like, what does it actually cost for me to live a life where I feel like safe and secure and and nourished and like fold both of those numbers into it. And then you reverse engineer um, everything from sort of like the bigger number. So you're taking, you're making decisions based not just on the success of the business, like what do I, how do I cover my baseline costs, but actually on the success of you, you living a good life while you're actually doing this. And it's different. Those numbers come out different much to the surprise of most founders. Um, and I'm raising my hand because I've surprised myself and not by planning in advance many times over and not in the best way. So I love that. Uh, I also love the take that you had on sort of like, let's, let's look at who else is doing this and let's look at what makes you really, what makes you different from them. The two competitors, I don't know, want to call them competitors, two other exemplars, two other examples yes. of people or companies doing this. It sounded really interesting and cool. And like you said, you're actually you know, like a customer of at least one of them, but also- Both. Oh, cool. Awesome. It sounds like what Becca's doing is different. You know, it's got a different intention. And one of the things that I want to ask you about is one of the big differentiators in something like this, because people are always wondering like, well, like, how do I, when people say like, well, why would I work with you instead of this or that? Like, how do I answer them? Is- I'm I'm curious how you like. What's your take on on approaching questions like that? Yeah, I I, lo I love a question like this. Of you know, I always say there's no unique messages, only unique messengers. And so Becca has a unique story right off the bat of just her why behind starting Storied, her her experience in having so many conversations and hearing the most vulnerable stories, right? Being able to be in the social workspace. Um, so being able to highlight that, the things that we think actually make us maybe not as valuable or as worthy are actually the things that make you stand out and even more relatable. So I can share an example from the company that I co-founded um, with my friend Jen of Simple Green Smoothies, um, really looking for the unique differentiator was we didn't have any health degrees. We weren't chefs or nutritionists or anything like that. We were just two young moms with young kids trying to get our kids to, you know, eat spinach and kale. And so we leaned into that to make that our unique differentiator for us to stand out amongst the competition of we actually make this easy for the everyday person who eats corn and potatoes as their vegetables instead of the hardcore yogi that drinks, you know, green, just like raw green juice that tastes like grass. Um, so we found ways to kind of uh, honor that we were a little bit younger. So we'll use, you know, cool words and rossum and rock on. And um, so just thinking about those ways of the things that you think might make you feel like I can't stand next to the people in my industry actually are the things that help you stand out. Yeah, love that. And as you're saying that, what jumped out at me sort of complimenting that is, um, so this, the nurture advisor impulse um, in Becca, can be a huge differentiator here, along with her extensive experience sitting across from other human beings at their moments of of need and openness and vulnerability and being able to create the safety to actually allow the conversation to happen, to be real and to 
to be beneficial um, and and lead to change and deep connection and psychological safety. You know, with what she's talking about doing, you know, it's the ability to sit across from somebody and create that container. It really changes the nature of what that other person would be open to sharing, which would then in turn change the nature of the depth and the quality um, of the story that gets told and, and the honesty of it, which then in turn would change the nature of the way that it would impact people who interact with that story. So she's got like this, she's got this deep DNA level impulse. And then you add really rich years of experience honing the skills around that impulse. And then when you turn that loose in this other endeavor, I mean, to me, that's such a powerful differentiator. If if I went to her and she told me that, I would be like, oh, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps, Jonathan, because that is a beautiful differentiator of that psychological safety to have those conversations, to tell your story in a safe space of someone who is a nurturer and has the compassion, the patience, the empathy to really just listen and witness and allow someone to be seen and heard for the story that they, the, the life that they live, the story that they are, they have lived and document that. Yeah. Love that. So I want to get granular also with you. Um, The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. When So her, her very specific question is, now that I found what I want to do, and this is the thing she wants to do for the rest of her life, how do I make it sustainable? And we kind of answered that generally. But I want to also get really specific here because... W- it's a fairly common question that we have been getting and that I've been getting for many years. I know you have been getting sort of like in coaching and strategy for many years. Like the, the broader question here is how do I, how do we move from, how do I get this other thing, this new thing to a point where I, I feel comfortable closing the door on this main thing that's been taking care of me for years. And I think there's this mythology that sometimes you know, we actually have to close the door, but very often we can, there's a way to just build on the side for a while um, until it at least allows you to step into it or 
it telegraphs that if you actually let go of the main thing and devoted all of your energy to it, the trajectory is showing you that with that extra energy, it would get you there pretty quickly. What's your take on sort of like this moment in, in a more practical way of, of going from one thing to the next? Yeah. So the second piece that stood out to me for practicality was time. Mm. So when you want to build something sustainable, but you also have this resource of time that disappears kind of every single day, um, really looking at um, something that I did because I was actually in a very, very similar position of having built one business and then stepping into another business and, and straddling the two for a couple of years and being a mom and a wife and being the primary breadwinner, all of those things, you know, being, you need to be careful and you can't just, you know, quit and just start something new. Um, sometimes you have to be very intentional and strategic about that transition. So a piece uh, that came up for me was around time. And so I look at things of cash projects and heart projects. And so, you know, for Becca, her cash project is doing the supervising, this clinical work right now, right? That's kind of um, sustaining her financially. And then she has the heart project, which she ultimately wants to turn into the cash project. And so really being able to compartmentalize time um, and making sure that she prioritizes enough time to focus on the money generating activities for the heart project. So obviously there's, there's the pieces that bring her a lot of joy. And I know she mentioned the, you know, she's getting these interviews in and it kind of sounds like, how do I, how do I throttle and how do I, I plan out that time? And so really thinking about creating a, a week, what I call a weekly workflow plan of your week. And so for me, I love to theme out my days of just having that pocket of time of when I'm focusing on money generating activities. For me, that's on Mondays. It's like, what do I, resist the most. Let me get that out of the way at the top of the week. So the money and the marketing, all of that is focused on Mondays. Like what's the hard thing that I need to do to kind of push this forward? And then I use Wednesdays. That's a day which I call Wednesdays, W-I-N, as like, that's the winning day. That's when I'm diving into big, deep creative work. That's where the joy work happens for me. And so I think that if Becca can start to look at her time and plan it out in a more strategic, intentional way, then she will feel as if she has time. And then maybe Tuesdays and Thursdays are the interview days, right? So not just being reactionary within her business, especially when you're in that startup mode, um, but finding ways to be intentional on what you work on when could create um, more of that sustainability where it feels like, okay, I do have enough time to work on my current cash project, the supervising work, but I'm also making sure I'm prioritizing the monetization as well as the joy work within the, within storied. Mm, yeah. I love that. Um, structure always helps so much. What's your take on taking something like what you just described and then layering into that also certain sort of aspirational benchmarks, like, you know, in six weeks, I will have created six new stories with six new clients or, you know, whatever feels actually a little bit of a, a reach, but doable. Like, I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to do this, but I feel like here's a number where I think I could figure it out along the way, you know, like, and, and let me just, let me put that in ink. Let me put it in the calendar and say, you know, like, 
two weeks from now, four weeks from now, six weeks from now, this is a number where um, my job will then be to figure out who do I email? How do I advertise on these different places? Who do I outreach? Where do I show up at, you know, like meetups and have conversations? Where do I go online? What groups do I go into? And I sometimes feel that when we, when we put this thing out there where it's not so big that it's terrifying, you know, where we think there's just no way I could hit that. It's outrageous where you're like, well, if I did hit it, it would be a dream come true, but then it, it becomes paralyzing. But it's, it's, it feels like a stretch, but you're like, if I, if I really put my mind to it, I, I'm pretty sure I could hit that. And then can, you know, when you do it, then you do the next one and you nudge a little higher in the next one. What's your take on that? Do you feel like that's helpful or, or not helpful? I think that there are two different camps for the the number and the goal. So it depends on the relationship that you have with yourself, the compassion. Mm. Um, I'm not very number driven, metric driven. It's more, I want to set an intention, but I could create a container around time. So I'm going to focus on this for the next 90 days. Um, but some people, that number, if there's a lot of resistance, could be really helpful for them to have uh, that set piece. So I think it's really being clear of what motivates you and drives drives you to take action. And if it's if it's a metric and a number by this date, and also to hold it lightly, because sometimes we have certain things that are out of our control. What Becca would have in her control is how many people she chooses to outreach with, or how many hours she sets a time per week to, to interview people or to attend meetups or um, building relationships with people. But maybe she might not be able to get all those stories in that set amount of time and that would be okay. And then at the end of that experiment, that test, whether, you know, for 90 days to kind of take a step back and what worked, what didn't work, what might I do differently the next time? And like, oh, why didn't I reach that number? But always meeting herself with a lot of compassion if you don't hit the goal right away. I, I just like to be really gentle with timelines because I think our society and our culture um, can be very um, just there's a little bit of toxicity around productivity and goal setting. Um, and I, I want a lot of room and space for failure and for things to not go as planned and to be able to give yourself enough grace to extend the timeline. Yeah, I love that. Um, building forgiveness into the process of creation, um, I think is such a missed opportunity and it's something that we need to bring back. And, and, and like you said, compassion, especially self-compassion towards ourselves, which interestingly for nurturers tends to be a way harder lift um, because they're so focused on lifting others up that when it comes time to actually take that same love and compassion um, and directed at themselves, it almost feels like, um, but I'm supposed to be giving this to others. Mm -hmm. And it can feel very, it can almost feel like, well, it, it's actually, I feel almost a sense of shame when I do this um, because my job is to lift up others. So that's something to grapple with when that is sort of like your driving impulse um, is that you really have to create space to, to receive along the way and to be kind to yourself. I want to touch in on, on one other thing that I thought was really interesting because Becca kind of snuck in two questions. The first <laughs> was, now that I have found what I want to do, how do I make it sustainable? And then she said, you know, once you found what makes your life meaningful, how do you monetize it? And how do you be careful about the monetizing of it, dipping into the joy that it brings? This, this landed so 
personally for me because I have built a few businesses in my past around a passion or an interest or a hobby that I love to do. I love to do alone. I love to do with friends. And then the moment that I actually turned it into a business, I hated it. So this is a very real issue. And I'm curious what your take is on this. Yeah, I I thought of you when I heard that question too. <laughs> I'm and... not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> So no, it's it's a it's a it's a really great thing because um, one thing that you had told me a few years ago was to not basically fire yourself out of the thing that brings you the most joy in your business, right? That even though outside people might be like, you've you got to delegate that, you got to get that off your plate, and so really paying attention to the piece that brings you the joy in your work and being clear on what that is. So what are those activities for Becca? Write them down so that she doesn't forget as her startup grows and, you know, able to monetize it, turn it into something sustainable and profitable, but remembering what are the things that give you joy inside your business and not to completely take that piece off your plate. An example, um, I have a client who's a food blogger and she could just cook in the kitchen all day, just making new recipes, testing recipes, you know, giving it to friends and family. And, and she has a, a successful blog with like a million visitors per month. But then it started to get into the SEO game and strategy. And, you know, it's not about the new recipes. It's about optimizing and updating the old ones so that the Google gods will grant you more visitors. And it started to suck the joy out of the business because now that person is just working on rewrites, hiring a team to do all these things, and they're no longer cooking in the kitchen and making recipes anymore. And so one of my jobs is to make sure that people hold on to the piece of their business that brings them joy and delegate and outsource the rest of the pieces um, while still taking on that leadership role within the company, but holding on to some of that magic. I think there's a second piece to that too, is to not put so much pressure on our businesses to give us all our fulfillment and joy and creativity and, and expression um, that we can also find that outside of our businesses too. So making sure that we don't get so lost in, in our businesses that we forget that we can feel joy and creativity and fun and connection in things that have nothing to do with monetization or business too. Yeah, I love that reminder. Whether it's a business that you own, whether it's a job that you have, it's wonderful when you can center it around something that truly makes you come alive. And and I think for a lot of us, we can do a lot more of that than we ever imagined possible. And at the same time, it's a great reminder to be also you know, like cognizant of the fact that there are also other things in life that bring us joy, you know. And and sometimes if we exclude them in the process, um, we exclude things which are really just really central, beautiful, um, uplifting, inspiring, purposeful, meaningful, connecting things. So as we come full circle here, is there any in any sort of like final thought or piece of advice? If you're going to leave Becca with sort of one thing to really like a, a seed to plant, um, is there anything that comes to mind? I think from the conversation that you said about her being a nurturer and to turn that nurturer uh back onto herself as she builds and grows storied. I think that piece of flipping nurturer 
to herself in the process of building something meaningful that makes her come alive and brings her so much joy. Mm, I love that. And, and, and I would, my last bit would be um, coming back to the notion of really building around how she herself, her impulse, her skill, her skills, um, her, her history is going to be a huge differentiator in being able to both attract people to what she wants to do and also create something that nobody else can create when she's in conversation with them. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun and I'm excited for us to be back in conversation with another member of our Spark community. All right, take care. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.